0: Good morning, brothers and sisters. Numbers chapter 5. Numbers chapter 5 is where we'll be. Numbers, if you're not familiar with the way a Bible is laid out, is the fourth book in your Bible from the beginning. And so you start flipping from the beginning, you'll come to it. Numbers chapter 5. Here in just a moment, we'll be reading the first four verses of Numbers chapter 5. Now, unless you've had your head in the ground, you know that sickness is everywhere right now, right? I mean, it is just ravaging the community. We've got the flu. Apparently, we've got the coronavirus. People are walking around wearing masks. People are staying home from church. Some people, I'm glad they're staying home from church. You know, it's, it's everywhere. It's everywhere. There's a line out the door each day at the urgent care before they even open. It's because it's contagious. It's contagious. And we've got to protect ourselves, right? That's what we're doing. We're trying to protect ourselves from what is contagious. From the flu, from the coronavirus, from this disease that's everywhere. Well, today, we're going to see something in Scripture that is contagious. And it's a principle that, if you understand it, will help you better to understand the Old Testament and the nation of Israel. But it will also help us to better understand our own predicament to better understand the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let's look at our text this morning. Numbers chapter 5. I encourage you to take out your own Bibles and look at this with me. We'll be referring back to it numerous times. Numbers chapter 5, starting in verse 1. It says, The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Command the people of Israel that they put out of the camp everyone who is leprous, ...or has a discharge, and everyone who is unclean through contact with the dead. You shall put out both male and female, putting them outside the camp, that they may not defile their camp in the midst of which I dwell. And the people of Israel did so, and put them outside the camp. As the Lord said to Moses, so the people of Israel did." Now, picture this. You're a faithful Israelite. You love the Lord. You try to follow His commandments. You worship Him. You trust Him. And through no fault of your own, you have become defiled. You've contracted leprosy, your body has a discharge. Perhaps a loved one has died in your arms and now you've come into contact with a dead body and you are defiled in such a way that you are unclean and you must go outside the camp. Outside the camp into the lonely, dangerous wilderness. Now remember, the people of Israel at this point are camping in the wilderness. And they have a camp with all the tribes of Israel and all the people and all their tents. And the strength in numbers provides protection from this wilderness. But you see, there's defilement that comes into the camp. And when it happens, these people must go outside of the camp. Completely away from the others. Or think about it like this. What's worse? Your spouse or your teenager has become defiled. And the high priest comes to visit your tent and says, you must send them outside the camp. Your daughter, your son, you must put them outside of the camp. And you look at your your young one and you say, it's going to be okay. Okay. The Lord's going to take care of you. But we have to do this. This is God's command. We have to do this. Now you have to go outside of the camp. It seems hard, doesn't it? It seems like God's not very loving. What is going on here in the book of Numbers? Well, this morning, I want you to see through our text and some other texts that we're going to look at, that this defilement, this uncleanness, has everything to do with our sin today. Our sin today is contagious, just like the uncleanness, the defilement was back then. But I also want you to see how it reveals to us the gospel of Jesus Christ. So first, we're going to see that sin is a disease that defiles sin is a disease that defiles what is physical in the Old Testament as you read through your Bibles what's physical in the Old Testament is often spiritual in the New and so in the Old Testament God created a physical people his people was a physical nation the nation of Israel in the New Testament in the New Covenant the people of God is a spiritual people the church the universal church and just as That's the case, so as in the Old Testament, in the Old Covenant, defilement, uncleanness, in a physical way, is representative of, in the New Covenant, our sin. Our sin in the New Covenant. And so notice in verse 3, in verse 3 back in our text, how it says they were to be put out of the camp so that they would not defile the place where God dwelled. And our sin is the same Today, brothers and sisters, our sin is the same today. Our sin defiles us and the things around us. It makes us unclean before God. It makes us unfit for His presence. You see this text. This text teaches us something very important about God. As you read through the Bible, always be asking yourself, what does this text, no matter where I'm at, what does this text teach me about God? Because the whole Bible is about God. It's God's self-revelation to us. So what does this text teach us about God? Well, one very important thing it teaches us is that God desires to dwell with His people. This is a wonderful mercy and grace, a wonderful expression of His love. He desires to dwell with His people. He doesn't have to be like this, and yet He does. He desires to dwell with His people. And He knows the best thing He can do for people is to give them himself. Do you know that? The best thing that God can do for you is to give you himself. Even salvation has as its end God giving himself to us. Salvation often in the Bible is talked about God reconciling us to himself. Right? The ultimate goal in the end is for God in heaven to dwell with his people and to be with them as their God and for them to be his people. As it was before sin came into the world. The best thing he can do for us is to give us himself. But as he seeks to do that, there's a problem. Sin becomes a problem in all of this. Why? Because of who God is. Because of how holy he is. We've talked about this numerous times as we go through numbers. Because of God's holy and pure nature, sin creates a problem when he wants to dwell with his creatures. Now for the unbeliever... For the person who does not know Jesus Christ and has not yet been reconciled to God, the defilement of sin has separated you from God. For the unbeliever, the defilement of sin has separated you from God. Think about it. Adam and Eve sinned, and what happened? They were kicked out of the garden. Even though God wanted to dwell with them, they couldn't be in His presence because of their sin. God chose to dwell among the people in the wilderness... In the tabernacle, right? The big tent that the priests were ministering at. The tabernacle, God chooses to dwell with the people there. But because of the sins of the people, his presence had to remain behind the curtain in a curtained-off section of that tabernacle that they would call the most holy place. And you couldn't just go in there. If you did, and you weren't the high priest, and you weren't going in there at the right time, with all the right specifications, you would die. Because of sin. And the camp in which God dwelt must remain in a clean state. If anything becomes defiled, you had to put it outside of the camp until that person or that thing was clean again. And even in heaven, even in the end of all things in heaven, this very principle remains true. Look at what it says in Revelation 21, verse 27. The second to last chapter in all the Bible, it says, But nothing unclean will ever enter it. That's heaven. Nothing unclean will ever enter it, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. Unclean. You cannot bring defilement into the presence of God. So for the unbeliever, this defilement of sin has separated you from God. Now for the believer, for those of you who are in Christ this morning, this means your sin can actually defile the place where God dwells. Our sin can defile the place where God dwells. Now, I am not talking about this church building, okay? This church building isn't like God's home in the sense that the temple was the dwelling place of God in the Old Testament. This church building is just a building. The church isn't a building, right? The church is the people of God. But, where does God dwell on earth in the New Covenant? Well, one place that He dwells, Paul tells us, is our bodies, For those of us who are Christians, Paul refers to our bodies as temples of the Holy Spirit, right? When we are baptized in those waters, and we are giving our life to Jesus in our hearts during that time, God says, through Peter in Acts chapter 2, we receive the gift of the Holy Spirit indwelling us. And so, if you are a believer this morning, the place that God dwells is your body inside of you. And you can defile that place through sin. And so Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, starting in verse 18, flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. For you were bought with a price, so glorify God in your body. You can defile this temple that God dwells in through sin. Our sin defiles the place where God dwells. But also, for the believer, it doesn't just mean your body, it also means the church. The church is referred to in the New Testament as the temple of God. The church as a whole. God dwells among His people, the church. Not the building, but the people, the body of Christ. When those who claim to be believers and are members of the body of Christ do nothing about sin in their midst, it defiles the body and it infects it. When those who claim to be believers, when those who are members of a church and say, yes, Jesus is my Lord, but do nothing about sin in their midst, it infects the body, it defiles the body. Churches die all the time from making peace with sin in their midst. This happens all the time. And so we see that God desires to dwell with his people, but any defilement must be done away with. Any defilement must be done away with. The place God dwells must be kept clean. So I ask you this morning, are you willing to put your defilement outside the camp? Are you willing to put your own defilement defilement outside the camp what sins are in your life that need to be put outside the camp god called the israelites to do a hard thing and they did it look back at verse 4 in verse 4 in our text it says the people of israel did so they put them outside the camp as the lord said to moses so the people of israel did they were obedient it was a hard thing how hard would it be To put your family member outside the camp. And yet they obeyed. They did so. God calls us to do hard things. And one hard thing he's calling every single one of us to do in here this morning. Is to put our sin outside the camp. To kill off the sin in our lives. To put to death the sin that remains in us, brothers and sisters. It's going to be hard. It's going to be uncomfortable. Ridding your life and your flesh of sin is always uncomfortable. It's going to mean confessing sin to others and asking for help. Are you willing to do that, brothers and sisters? Are you willing to tell someone about your sin? Are you willing to ask one of your brothers and sisters in Christ to the side and say, I need help. Can you help me with this? Are you willing to bring it into the light? Are you willing to bring your sin kicking and screaming into the light? Because Satan wants you to say nothing. Satan wants you to remain alone. Satan wants you to think you are alone. And Satan knows once you tell someone, you have elicited help from someone who has the Spirit of God inside of them as well as the Spirit dwelling inside of you. Are you willing to do that this morning? Are we willing, as Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, to gouge out an eye or to cut off a hand, if that's what it means, to put sin outside the camp? It's going to mean drastic measures. Are we willing to follow God's commands no matter how much it hurts? Sin is a disease that defiles. But you see, sin is also a disease that spreads. It's a disease that spreads. It's contagious. It's just like uncleanness was in the Old Testament. Sin in the New Covenant is contagious. You see, they had to put people out of the camp to prevent the spread of disease here. And part of this is practical. Okay? Part of this, you you look at this and you say, how could God have them do this? Part of this is practical, you guys. We must remember God was protecting the people from what could have been an epidemic of disease that could have wiped out hundreds of thousands, right? They did not have antibiotics back then. They did not have any of the advances of modern medicine and technology that we have today that we we, we consider such a blessing of God's what we call common grace even among unbelievers. God has given us the grace of this medicine and, and the blessing of technology so that we can prevent this kind of thing but back then they didn't have any of that the only solution was quarantine for this defilement the only solution was quarantine something like leprosy how fast could it spread it's for the good of hundreds of thousands of people God doing this it's because he loves his people as a whole and in this way we see God's care for them but we see that it was contagious it was contagious Listen to what God's Word says in Leviticus 15. I'm going to read verses 4 through 9, but I want you to see through this passage how contagious this defilement is, okay? This is actually a passage only dealing with people who had discharges. Listen to what it says. It says, Every bed on which the one with the discharge lies shall be unclean, and everything on which he sits shall be unclean. And anyone who touches his bed shall wash his clothes, And bathe himself in water and be unclean until the evening. And whoever sits on anything on which the one with the discharge has sat shall wash his clothes and bathe himself in water and be unclean until the evening. And whoever touches the body of the one with the discharge shall wash his clothes and bathe himself in water and be unclean until the evening. And if the one with the discharge spits on someone who is clean, then he shall wash his clothes and bathe himself in water and be unclean until the evening. And any saddle on which the one with the discharge rides shall be unclean. And it keeps going, y'all. It keeps going. This, this is contagious. Defilement is contagious. And in a similar way, sin is contagious in our own lives. You see, sin breeds more sin, does it not? Sin breeds more sin. The sins of others tempt us to sin ourselves. Sin breeds more sin. Think about sins like gossip or lying. They are snowballs rolling down a hill, are they not? They just build and build and build and build, and it gets bigger and bigger and more and more of a problem. Think about King David. One stray look for a woman bathing, and one thought that lingered too long led King David down a path of sin after sin after sin after sin because of this we have to protect ourselves just like the Israelites had to protect themselves we have to protect ourselves just like some today are walking around with masks or staying away from public places because of disease we must protect ourselves right we must guard our eyes brothers and sisters we must guard our eyes Guard what comes in here. You ever sang that song with little kids? Oh, be careful, little eyes, what you see. That is straight up truth. Guard your eyes. There are TV channels I cannot watch. There are websites I cannot visit. Even websites that a lot of people would say are fine. I can't visit them because of the ads or whatever. There are places we, we cannot go. There are popular shows or movies that I'm sure are very entertaining, but I can't do it. I can't sacrifice my nearness to God for that small time of entertainment. There are certain people we cannot spend significant time with, right? Otherwise, we will be tempted to sin because of spending time around those people. We must guard our steps, even. For some, there are places of business that they have to avoid avoid. Solomon warned his young son not to even walk home a certain way because it would lead him by the house of an adulterous woman. Don't even go that way. Take the long way home so you don't even have to be tempted by being in proximity. Oh, be careful little feet where you go. You have to guard your computer. You have to guard your phone, right? Some of us need to get rid of our smartphone altogether. There are apps that we cannot have on our phone. Otherwise, it's going to lead us into sin. And every one of us, every single one of us, must guard our thoughts and be vigilant not to let an initial thought become a sinful fantasy or a sinful daydream or let our minds run wild with judgmentalism about others and hypothetical situations isn't it interesting how in our thoughts we are always on the winning side of those hypothetical situations and others are always on the losing side of those situations that hasn't even happened yet? It's because our hearts, our hearts are sinful. We are so prone to this. Guard your mind, people. And so sin is not just something that defiles. It's a disease that spreads. It defiles and it spreads. We have to be on guard. But, my friends, finally this morning, I want you to see Jesus is the cure. Jesus is the cure. Ultimately, this passage here in Numbers is meant to point us to Jesus. This passage here in Numbers 5, 1 through 4, is ultimately meant to point you to Jesus. Notice the three categories God mentions here in Numbers chapter 5. Three categories of defilement. One who has leprosy, one who has a discharge... And one who touches a dead body. Interestingly enough, in the book of Luke, Luke the physician tells us three stories about Jesus healing a leper, Jesus healing a woman with a discharge, and Jesus raising a little girl who had died back to life. Let me take you there. Let me show you. These will be up on the screen. Story number one, Luke chapter 5, starting in verse 12. Jesus heals a leper. Listen to what it says. While he was in one of the cities, there came a man full of leprosy. And when he saw Jesus, he fell on his face and begged him, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will. Be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him. Now notice, Luke, who is a physician, tells us Jesus stretched out his hand to touch the man with leprosy. Now back then, Scripture tells us that if you had leprosy and you were going to be around other people, you had to shout it out that you were unclean. You had to shout out, unclean! Stay away from me, unclean. Because it's contagious, right? Jesus reaches out his hand to touch this man. And everybody around him right there is saying, no, Jesus, don't touch him. You'll become unclean. But what happens? When Jesus reaches out and touches the unclean man, Jesus doesn't become unclean. The unclean man becomes clean. Do you see? Do you see what's happening here? Do you see the truth? When Jesus touches someone who is unclean, He doesn't become unclean. They become clean. Jesus can do for us what the ceremonial law in the Old Testament could never do. In the Old Testament... In the law, there was never a provision for how the high priest could make someone clean. The only instructions were given for those who became unclean. What do you do with them once they become unclean? But the high priest couldn't make anyone unclean. Jesus can do what the law cannot do. Jesus can make you clean. You see, sin is contagious, but Jesus is contagious too. Jesus touches the unclean and they become Jesus has a power that does not exist anywhere else. It does not exist in the law. It does not exist in the world. Jesus has a power to make unclean people clean. Leviticus 15, you remember how contagious it was? That doesn't phase Jesus. Not Jesus. Jesus makes unclean people clean. Jesus takes away defilement. Jesus has the power to take our sin away from us and absorb it onto Himself. He has the power to take your sin and absorb it onto Himself. Through Jesus, we can be fit for God and fit for heaven. That's story number one. Story number two, Luke chapter 8, verse 42. Jesus heals a woman with a discharge. It says, as Jesus went, the people... Pressed around him. And there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years. And though she had spent all her living on physicians, she could not be healed by anyone. She came up behind him and touched the fringe of his garment. And immediately her discharge of blood ceased. Now, isn't it interesting? Luke, the physician, Tells us there wasn't a doctor around who could heal her. The doctors couldn't do a thing. She'd tried everything in the world. It didn't work. She's desperate. Jesus is in a crowd. Jesus feels power go out from him, the word tells us. He feels power go out from him. And Peter says to him, uh, Jesus, everybody was touching him. He says, Jesus says, Who touched me? And Peter says, Tons of people. <laughs> What are you talking about? Everybody touched you. Jesus says, no, this was different. I felt power go out from me. And he turns and he finds this woman. Now, this woman took such a risk. She knows whoever comes in contact with her will become unclean. But she's so desperate. She's tried everything. She spent all of her money, all of her life savings. She's dirt poor now. She has no way to spend any more money on any other doctors. And they haven't worked anyway And she's probably thinking to herself, you know what, maybe Jesus is going to be angry with me for doing this. Because I could make him unclean. But at least there's a chance this bleeding could stop. I've tried everything. And what happens? She touches the fringe of his garment. And instead of Jesus becoming unclean, the woman becomes clean. When Jesus comes into contact with someone who is unclean, he doesn't become unclean. They become clean. That's story number two. Story number three, the little dead girl. In the same chapter, Luke chapter 8, verse 49, while he was still speaking, someone from the ruler's house, this is Jairus, if you remember. This is right after he heals that lady. Someone from the ruler's house came and said, your daughter is dead. Do not trouble the teacher anymore. Now you've got to remember, this is Jairus, a ruler who came all the way to find Jesus, knowing that his daughter was just sick. And he asked Jesus, come quick. If you get there, you can heal my daughter. I know you can. Come quick. And they come up to him and they said, Jairus, give it up, man. Your daughter's dead. She died. It's over. But Jesus But taking her by the hand, he called, saying, Child, arise. And her spirit returned, and she got up at once, and he directed that something should be given her to eat. Now, this little girl has died. She's genuinely died, right? And Jesus gets there, and he says, She's just sleeping, and everyone laughs at him. We know she's dead. She's not sleeping. She's dead, Jesus. He says she's just sleeping. Why does Jesus say that? Because that's all death is to Jesus. You see, that's all death is to Jesus. It's just a little nap. If you're in Christ, that's what death is. That's all death is to Jesus. It's just a little nap. But as he enters the house, everyone's not only laughing at him. They're saying, Jesus, don't go into that room. You'll become unclean. You can't touch her. You'll become unclean. But what does he do? He takes this little girl by the hand and he speaks to her like I talk to my little girl when I'm waking her up in the morning. And he says something to the effect of, sweet girl, it's time to get up. You've been sleeping. It's time to get up. That's what he says. When you go back into the Hebrew, you see this endearing term that he gives to her. It's little girl. It's like me calling Jordan, sweet girl. It's time to get up. That's all he says. And what happens? She gets up. It's no big deal to Jesus. This is death we're talking about. And Jesus just says, hey, it's time to get up. And she does. See, when Jesus touches people who are dead, he doesn't become unclean. They live. Jesus can resurrect you even though you are dead in your sins. If you are dead in your sins this morning, Jesus can bring you back to life, and only Jesus can bring you back to life. This is what Jesus can do. Your sin, it's contagious. Yes, it is. Your sin is contagious. Your sin has defiled you. Yes, it has. But that's nothing to Jesus. You might say, I'm too sinful for anyone to reach out to me. Not Jesus. He can touch lepers. You might say, my sin disease is too deep. No one can heal it. Jesus can. He can heal what every doctor in the world can't heal. You might say, I'm no good. In fact, I'm dead in my sin. You know what? You're in the perfect position for a resurrection. That's exactly where every single one of us were before Jesus reached into death, into our hearts and said, it's time to get up. That's exactly where every single one of us were before God spoke into our hearts and said, let there be light. And we believed and we were saved. Jesus has the power to make unclean people clean. Jesus can take a defiled person and make them fit for God and fit for heaven. The only question is, are you going to let him? Will you let him do that to you this morning? Let's pray. God, we thank you so much for this truth that you have given us. Thank you for the book of Numbers and for the the principle that you laid out so long ago that this defilement has to be completely put out of your presence. But we thank you even more for Jesus who can step into defilement and be in contact with defilement and not be defiled himself. Thank you for our great mediator who steps in between us and you and cleanses us so that we can come into your presence. Thank you for his blood which washes us clean of our defilement. God, I pray that this good news would crack open even the hardest of hearts. I pray that this news would embed itself deep into the minds and the souls of those that are here this morning that we could not get away from what the Holy Spirit is saying to us today. In Jesus' name.